Hello. Welcome back to the audio diary of Aaron Lockman. On the evening of Halloween, I found myself sitting at a wooden table on the sixth floor of the Harold Washington Library, studying frantically for my chemistry midterm the next morning. The holiday of spooks and ghosts and all things unnatural had fallen on a Monday this year, much to the chagrin of most everybody I knew. College students tend to prefer that their holidays happen on weekends, so as to maximize the possibility of getting drunk with few consequences. I personally enjoyed Halloween for the theatrical aspect. At the party I had attended that weekend, I went as a shadow, in a black robe, black gloves, and a black shroud which hid my face. I walked silently and slowly around the party, eating nothing, drinking nothing, and talking to no one. It was a big hit, presumably. I think I scared lots of people, or at the very least they all tended to finish their conversations and move to another room when I walked in. But this evening, on the proper Halloween, the only frightening thing present in my life was the prospect of earning a substandard grade on my chemistry midterm. It irked me that I, as an art student, even had to take chemistry. Chemistry did not care. Chemistry does not care about anything. At 8.45, the announcement came over the intercom that the library would be closing soon, and I packed up my things and plugged in my headphones. In sore need of something relaxing, I picked Ingrid Michelson as my musical companion for the trip home. Ingrid strummed her ukulele as I headed to the elevators, and she sang quietly as I walked the cold streets of the loop. I decided, on a whim, to take the scenic route home. Normally, if I was in a rush, I took the red line straight to Edgewater, but tonight I felt stressed and strung out, and I needed to look at the orange lights of the city out of the windows. I resolved to take the brown line to Fullerton, over the Chicago River and through Lincoln Park, and transfer to the red line from there. I walked the short distance to the Harold Washington Library L-stop, climbed the stairs, flashed my card, and tumbled through the turnstile. I waited on the wooden platform for several minutes. A train rumbled slowly into the station. It looked like a brown line train in all respects, except that the lights were all off, and the sign that would normally have the white word Kimball on a brown background was dark and blank. The train screeched to a halt, and the doors slid open. There was no cursory announcement of, This is Harold Washington Library. Transfer to green, pink, purple, and orange line trains at Harold Washington Library. There was only silence. The doors did not close, even after I waited several seconds. There did not appear to be anybody inside the darkened train. I took out my phone and paused Ingrid. I waited. The train did not move. I looked up and down the platform. The station was completely abandoned which was strange for nine o'clock on a weekday. I looked at the screen that hung from the glass roof of the station. It said that the next brown line train to Kimball was coming in 15 minutes. I looked back at the train. It stood stock still, as if waiting for me. Getting onto this empty, dark train was not an appealing prospect, 
But even less appealing was the existential dread of waiting 15 entire minutes on an empty platform, endlessly torn between the three possibilities of just waiting it out, giving up and walking to the red line, or surrendering entirely and spending 20 bucks on an Uber. The prospect drained me. I stepped onto the dark train. The doors closed behind me, and I sat down in a seat. The train rumbled and screeched and lurched slowly forward. I looked around. The omnipresent dull orange glow of Chicago, amalgamated from an ocean of office lights and street lamps and buses and cars, half illuminated the interior of the compartment. The train rumbled and jostled. It was all quite familiar, but for the darkness and the silence. Just as the train began to round the corner of the loop, the loudspeaker crackled into life. An unfamiliar voice, deep and rumbly and female, echoed through the car. I have been looking for you. Thank you for that unnecessarily vague greeting, I said. My name's Aaron, what's yours? I was a bit exasperated. I had only wanted a nice, relaxing train ride home. There was a long silence. You have been chosen. Really, I said. Is this reality television? No. Good. I can't get into reality television. And I can't think of a tackier way to start a career in show business. Okay, well that's... I'm trying to do a thing here. Could you just... Sorry, I said. Would you like to make some more dramatic, mysterious proclamations? A pause, then. If you ever wish to go home, you must answer three riddles. Okay. If you answer wrongly, you will surely die. What's going to kill me, I asked the voice. Look out the window, it said. I looked out the window. We had sped up. The train was now barreling along the middle of a highway, cars in heavy traffic inching forward to either side of us. We approached a station and sped through it without slowing down, but I was able to make out a light blue sign on the wall that said Harlem in enormous white letters. This struck me as strange for several reasons. Firstly, we had traveled miles in a matter of seconds, and secondly, the brown line does not share any tracks with the blue line. We couldn't possibly have transferred at any point. I don't get it, I said aloud, looking upwards towards the voice. How did we get here? That's the wrong question, it said. Look again. I looked. Now we were speeding through a Green Line station I had never visited that said Garfield on the wall. I blinked, and we were passing the 35th and Archer Orange Line stop, I blinked again, deliberately this time, and then we were underground, the Clark and Division red line stops speeding by, packed with tired people who looked like faint blurs as they receded behind us. If you answer wrongly or fail to answer even one question, you shall wander the CTA like I did for eternity. And then presumably die from starvation, I said. That is correct. Something she had said stuck in my mind. Like you did? I asked. The first riddle is thus. Did you also get abducted by this train and answer the riddles wrong? Another pause, 
and I heard a static crackle that must have been the woman, whoever she was, slowly inhaling and exhaling as if to calm herself. I wondered if she was standing at the front of the train, speaking into the microphone, imprisoned there much like me. But somehow I doubted that. I would have seen her when the train pulled into the station, and besides, her voice sounded too expansive, too big to currently belong to a physical body. The first riddle, the voice repeated, is thus. What is true love? Wow, I said. Way to start with the easy stuff. Take your time. I thought about it. I suppose true love, I replied after a few moments, is both the highest form of empathy and the highest form of intimacy. It is catharsis and emptiness and fullness. It is the ultimate statement of belonging, a feeling of warmth and dizziness, coolness and steadiness, the act of falling and the act of holding on. In short, love is all, and love is nothing. Does that make sense? Not really, said the train. But your answer is technically correct. Are you ready for riddle number two? I was born ready, I said, shifting happily in my seat, a little more confident now. Hit me! In two hundred words or less, please fix racism. I looked down at my hands which were folded neatly in my lap, and which were small and waif-like and as white as the driven snow. Am I really the most qualified person to fix racism? I asked. You are if you want to leave this train alive. Fair point, I admitted. Shall I also solve sexism and transphobia while I'm at it? If you wish. I thought about this one for a long, long time. I looked ahead of me out the opposite window. We rumbled through a pink line station, and I saw on the platform a homeless man bundled up in a tattered green coat, surrounded by equally tattered backpacks and food wrappers. His brown eyes met mine for the briefest millisecond, and then the train pulled me away into the night. I feel like we could all stand to look into each other's eyes a bit more, I said. Eyes are fascinating and they are sad, and they are helpful. The rest will come from there. The woman on the intercom sighed. You are not, she admitted grudgingly, technically wrong. And it was then that I realized that this person, wherever or whomever she was, wanted me to fail. She wished beyond wish to imprison me in this train. The thought made my stomach churn. I thought about a future spent wandering the CTA, hunger eating my insides until I collapsed and faded away, my consciousness slipping into the stale air of the train car. I had a feeling that she was saving the worst riddle, the cruelest question, for last. My heartbeat began to speed up considerably. The third and final riddle, said the voice, is a bit different. I could hear her sneer. I shall tell you the correct answer first, and then you shall tell me your answer, and I shall know whether you are lying to me. I said nothing. The third riddle is thus, she continued. 
The train may pull our lives away from us, but only if we are unwilling. Nobody who wishes to stay on the train may stay, and no one who wishes to leave may leave. So my question to you is this. Do you wish to stay on the train, or do you wish to return to your life, to your Starbucks and your shoes and your elections and your traffic lights and sidewalks and beds and frozen dinners and table lamps and grocery stores and cute leather jackets from thrift shops? What do you wish? She fell silent then, and I could sense that she had moved her last chess piece and was grinning, reveling in her presumptive triumph. I imagined she had a wide, infectious grin, and suddenly I was able to picture her in my mind's eye. Not what she looked like exactly, just the energy of her person, and her smell a little bit. I imagined she smelled like body odor and roses and trumpets made of gold. I was silent for a spell, and then I said, I wish that both of us could leave this train. A pause. What? The voice said. I wish not only to leave, but to take you with me, I repeated, not knowing what I was saying, but certain it was the right thing to say. I don't think you're a part of the train. I think you're like me. I cannot leave the train, said the voice. She sounded broken, confused. But that's what I wish, I said. You know it is, you can tell. I don't want to stay, but I don't want to leave by myself. There was silence. If I hadn't known better, I would have thought that the train was slowing down. The physical sensations of movement, the jostling, the rumble, were all dissipating, but outside, the stations began to flicker past faster and faster. A high-pitched whine began to emanate from the wheels, and suddenly the train began to rock back and forth violently, throwing me out of my seat. I thought for certain we would flip off the track. Then there was a great snapping and bending and growling and grumbling and stretching, the sounds of metal being twisted and mutilated and bent, I reached for a pole, hoping to keep my balance, but the train gave a final horrible shudder and jerked to the left, and I felt myself crashing through the window. I landed on a concrete platform. Luckily, I had been wearing my backpack, and the several layers of books and binders and sweatshirts I had piled inside hit the ground first and broke my fall. My head jerked backward but did not hit the concrete, and I skidded several feet on my rear end before coming to a stop. I took several deep breaths. I looked around. There was no train anywhere in sight, nor any sign of wreckage. I was at the Fullerton station, the wide double platforms stretching out for several blocks. The place appeared deserted, that is, until I heard a voice from behind me. I, uh... I guess I should say thank you. It was the voice of the woman on the train. I turned my head around. She was tall, much taller than me, and about my age, with a huge head of long, curly brown hair which turned blonde at the tips. She wore a gauzy maroon shirt and black leggings. She had a look of supreme haughty intelligence on her face, 
and seemed quite troubled at the prospect of having to thank me. She stood a short distance away, but made no move towards me. I tried to tell her that it was nothing, but I was still having trouble trying to breathe and think at the same time, much less forming words. I tried to wave my hand in an unconcerned gesture. I failed utterly. My name's Laura, she said. I, uh, I don't know how long I was on that train, but the same thing that happened to you happened to me. I got on, and this old man's voice was asking me questions, but I got it wrong, and I died. But I didn't go anywhere. I was still trapped, and somehow, somehow I knew that I had to find you and get you to take my place. So, you know, sorry about that. Again, I attempted a hand gesture. Again, I failed. I must have been some sight, curled up in the fetal position, wheezing on the Fullerton platform. Anyway, said Laura, I think I'm probably good to go now. I think all of us are. So, thanks. The words did not worm their way out of her easily. A prideful person, I thought. Self-sufficient, unaccustomed to owing debts. I tried to get a closer look at her, but I found I couldn't focus my eyes. There seemed to be several Laras standing on the platform now. But no. There was a string of people behind Lara, refracted around her like a kaleidoscope, people of all shapes and sizes and colors. And I heard their voices, the myriad voices the dark train had stolen, and they were all thanking me. I couldn't hear them all, but I heard the word hero echo across the platform again and again. Hero. 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 And then the voices faded away, and then Laura faded away, and I was left lying on the Fullerton platform, feeling nothing at all like a hero. I hadn't broken Laura free out of altruism, nor had I answered her riddles out of wisdom. When she asked me those questions, I answered them because I wanted to go home, and I wanted to seem clever. A red line train arrived, a normal one, with lights and people and awful smells, and I went home. I never saw the dark train again. I don't think I ever will. But you might, one of these cold Halloweens. The dark train may rumble into any station when the time is right, I think. So please, for the love of all that is holy, don't be like me. Don't be a hero, and don't go inside the creepy train piloted by the voices of the damned. Call yourself an Uber. Get home safe. And happy Halloween. Halloween.